How can you rise to meet a moment in a way that matters most? Maybe it's with words. Maybe it's by being quiet and listening. Sometimes it happens when lots of people are around to see or maybe you have a platform online. Sometimes the most profound moments happen in a conversation with a neighbor, maybe around the dinner table. Man, it is, it's been a big week. I don't know if you're feeling that like I am, but um, things just seem to keep moving faster and faster uh, these days. From Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, Monday, this past Monday, to the inauguration on Wednesday. Now Bernie Sanders memes are a thing. Like, I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, all over the interwebs. Uh, there have been lots of moments. There have also, within our congregation, been moments of loss, moments of reflection, moments in which we've gathered before the casket of a dear brother like Wayne Osborne, and we've grieved with Casey and his family over the loss of his grandmother Cecil and Mark Poole, as John mentioned, with the, the loss of his brother. We've have, we had moments this past week and in the past months where we've collectively held our breath as friends and family have experienced illness or had medical scares or walked through the difficult days just facing the circumstances of life. And, and I wonder, what, what do you say? What do, you, what do you do? How are you present? What do you have to give in a moment that meets that moment with all that God desires to do in and through you? If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name is Nick Wilkes, and I have an opportunity to work with the middle school and high school students uh, here at Chapel Rock. And I, one of the reasons that I'm standing before you this morning is because once a year, we like to shine the spotlight on youth missions here at Chapel Rock and share a little bit about um, and, and raise awareness of opportunities to support our middle and high school students in ways that they're serving in the upcoming year. And as I think back to 2020 and really through all the experiences that I've been a part of with students the past 20 years in youth missions at Chapel Rock, I'm blown away continually by what happens when a student's willingness to engage meets the demands of what they're called to in a moment. And I see time and time again the kingdom of God advance for his glory. In 2020, we had two trips planned, uh, one of which we were able to pull off. Uh, our first trip with Samaritan's uh, Purse uh, heading to Texas to do some relief effort was canceled right before spring break, um, as you can imagine. But we were able to uh, participate with Mission Indy um, the Griners and, and Matt Cutler and their leadership um, with a, a week that was called Impact Fairfax, in which we worked here in our city uh, with Fairfax community and Brookside community back in July. Now, Mission Indy, if you don't know, is an equipping ministry whose mission is to equip Christians to serve wherever God has placed them. And groups from all over the place, all over the Midwest, come to be trained and to be sent out but it just so happens that the folks that we got to serve and learn from are our near west side neighbors and a little bit uh, further away, but uh, our neighbors from an east side neighborhood at Brookside Community. It was a different year for me 
personally because uh, more often than not, when it comes to uh, youth mission projects, I love to, you know, I'd love to be the one digging the hole or swinging the hammer, you know, getting right in there with some of that, uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of back-breaking work um, on the project side of things. But I got to be with the half of the team that was on the east side working at Brookside Community, and we were working uh, with a day camp with kids while the other half of our team was working in the Fairfax community with Doug Glish and some of the other leaders um, on some construction. <clears throat> and here's what I learned um, from my experience at Brookside in the day camp. Man, being fully present with kids sometimes is way more exhausting than swinging a hammer all day long. You know, I don't know anybody in here work with kids, have kids, know a kid, have volunteered in you know, uh, our, our children's ministry, done a day camp, uh, teach in school, you know that kids require like 150% of the energy that you have, of the effort that you have, of the ability to be able to think on your feet in a moment. And that's not to say that any project that we do in youth missions is any more or less important than any other, but all of what we're called to helps uh, us rise to an opportunity in a moment that could require our focus, could require our abilities, could require our energy. Maybe it requires our determination, our resources. It could require our money um, or our time. Um, none of this would be possible for us if it weren't entrusted to us uh, by the grace of God. And what's exciting about the opportunity to participate in all the things that we get to do in youth missions uh, is that we're able to participate in what God's doing, uh, as we're reminded of in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, that says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a reason to strive for something in a moment. When you get to participate in nothing short than the reconciliation uh, work that God is doing throughout the world, um, that uh, helps us to rise uh, to what might be demanded of us in a moment. So all of that is kind of a preview to get to this rhythm that we're in today, continuing in this Back in the Rhythm series, and we come uh, to this week in our theme of sacrificial generosity. It's a rhythm that we're going to explore through the truth of the word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open uh, your Bible or your devices, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Um, and sacrificial generosity shows us when we give of our time, our resources, our gifts, and our energies, we become literally conduits of God's grace. He's glorified and people are reconciled through it. So uh, just a, a little piece of background, and we're going to get into some more context as we go along. Uh, but what you need to understand about the context of this passage is Paul is writing a letter to the believers at Corinth. And it has to do, um, in, in this particular emphasis, with uh, the Corinthian believers rising to meet a moment along with other fellow believers, brothers and sisters abroad, um, rising to meet a moment to alleviate some extreme suffering that other brothers and sisters were experiencing. A few of the verses we're going to hang on today here in the section I'm about ready to read um, are the place in which he appeals to the sacrificial generosity of the Corinthian church based on the example of another group of believers 
um, who have already been doing all that they could to help out in the dire situation that, that was being faced. So 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, let's read this text together. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy in extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. Now, if you're like me, there's a little bit of a tension that, that comes up. It just kind of naturally sort of springs up when we come across a passage like this, or even when someone stands in front of me, like I am you, uh, starting to talk about sacrificial generosity. You know, I mean, we, we love the idea of generosity in people. Uh, we think it's an admirable quality, but to be honest, maybe um, we're a little bit fearful of the unknown of what sacrificial generosity is going to cost us. I think sometimes this misdirected fear comes because we, uh, as individuals, don't know our why. Often uh, it's easy to think about what something is by looking at what it isn't. And if you look up the antonym of generous, you find the word selfish. That's a little bit scary. Uh, but this, this opposite uh, side of things, when it comes to the opposite of generosity, is selfishness. And maybe it's best expressed in the phrase that you might hear, like, I'm going to get mine, you get yours. And it's kind of a, just a common way that goes with, unfortunately, uh, the grain of culture sometimes. Um, and in the midst of that mindset, sacrificial generosity, you know, even as a theme, seems like a risk, right? You know, I mean, sometimes we're, we're just playing catch-up already. I mean, we've got, we got the bills to pay. Uh, we, we, we need more time than we feel like we have, or, you know, our ability to keep up with what's required of us sometimes seems fleeting. And if our why is just about ourselves, building our kingdom, no matter what, then as we head down this road thinking about sacrificial generosity, it's just going gonna, gonna to bring more and more tension to our lives, especially even when we encounter opportunities for sacrificial generosity. But if our why on the other hand, is to look beyond ourselves to others, we begin to see this, this bigger picture of the very reason that we might have something that God's already placed in our hand. The very reason that we might find ourselves placed in the very situations that we face on a week like this past week or on a daily basis. Uh, the very reason that God might have given you the relationships uh, that you have in the way that he's wired you up. Either way, uh, when our why is for self or for others, um, either way requires pain sometimes, to be honest. Either way requires sacrifice. But I'm here to tell you today that the pain of the place that selfishness keeps us is greater than the pain of the place where sacrificial generosity will lead us. So our format for this, this series has included, um, as we've looked at each one of these themes over the past weeks, uh, the what, the why, and the how for each of these rhythms. For sacrificial generosity, um, the, the reason we're starting here with the why is because if we don't understand the why, I, uh, my fear is that we never, we never get to the what and the how. We never, we never put the what or the how into practice. 
And the why for the Christians from the Macedonian churches in this passage was that they got the first thing right about their giving. And actually, it didn't start, first of all, with their money. Their giving started with that to which they first gave their lives. The text says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord and also to us, Paul says, by the will of God. And we give pieces of our lives, our energy. We know this each and every day, our attention, our effort to a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, um, that uh, we, we put ourselves out into. Some of those things we hope give us a return. But uh, we all know what it feels like when we don't, it doesn't seem like there's enough of us to go around. And we want to give our lives to something that matters. Uh, and sometimes as we give ourselves to certain things, we still, we still feel this emptiness. So um, our first step here is to take a step back and go, okay, wh what am I giving myself to when it comes to sacrificial generosity? What's, what's my why? What are those things requiring of me? What is all of that time, that energy, that effort? What's it shaping me? To become. When you give yourself first to the Lord, as we see in this passage, you begin to experience the only way that all of these other things can fit into their right and meaningful place. Now, Jesus talked about throughout the scripture um, a, lot of, a lot about what we give ourselves to, uh, many different places. Matthew chapter 6 is, is one uh, that I'll point out to to us um, today that speaks about um, the Lord, first of all, knowing like we all need things. We all need the basics. We got we to cover the things that we need. And that passage is talking about things like food and clothing, um, the things that sometimes capture our worries, right? You know, we, we're, we're trying to, first of all, kind of settle those things to survive. But Matthew chapter 6, in the context of that passage, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So as we pause to look at our why, you know, ask each of ourselves this, this why question. Why am I doing what I, what I do? I think we've got to ask, what, what am I seeking first? What, what are you giving yourself to first? And a look at where we spend most of our time, where we spend most of our energy, where we spend most of our efforts, man, can give us a good window in a good or a bad way um, into sometimes our why, because our pursuits reflect our priorities. What we find ourselves doing can help us see uh, what we think is important. A hard look at our pursuits can clearly reveal our priorities. So from our main text in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, 1 through 5, we know that it's part of a letter that Paul was writing to encourage but he's also, the main, the main point of this, this section of the letter was a call to action. So for the Corinthian church, it was kind of the what and the how of what he was calling them to do in sacrificial gener generosity. This passage, it's worth reading this whole passage, and I'm, I'm thankful that Roger read from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as well, because you've got to get this whole big um, section that's, that's great to go over, more than, more than we have time to dig into today, but um, of what Paul's telling them. And it's really a story within a story. So he's telling the church at Corinth in this letter about the Macedonian Christians and their example of generosity so that the believers at Corinth can follow through with what they said they were going to give to fight a famine 
and some extreme poverty that was happening in the first century. So follow all that? Kind of a story within a story here. But he's urging, get this, sacrificial generosity on behalf of brothers and sisters that are from a different place. They're from a different congregation. They're actually in what could be considered another country who were in the midst of recovering from a famine. You can read about this in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, if you kind of want to get some other pieces of the story where this famine is spoken of. Um, and here in this particular passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he's circling back to something he'd mentioned in his previous letter. So if you want to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he first urged them to get ready because this, this collection was being made to help alleviate this suffering, you can read about the, the extended context of that. But it's, it's really a beautiful picture when you think about what's happening here. A beautiful picture of, think about this, a multi-ethnic, racially diverse, collaborative, international effort. Like, sounds pretty missional uh, to me. I don't know about you. But here he is. Think about this. Paul, as a Jewish man, he's writing to followers of Jesus who are living in what's modern-day Greece, probably some Jews and some Greeks, there as a part of that Corinthian congregation, but they're actually under Roman rule at the time. He's writing the letter from what's modern-day Turkey, probably the city of Ephesus, while appealing to the generosity of some of the earliest Southern European converts or followers of Jesus in the Macedonian region to help with this hardship of followers of Jesus in the region of Syria, Israel, and the Middle East. So, and one thing we can't miss when it comes to not only this passage, but as we think about sacrificial generosity, is the idea of what's being taught, and that's that sacrificial generosity starts with relationships. Man, what a, what a beautiful picture, even in the first century, of what God was doing to bring people together in a radically different sort of a way. There's a bond of relationship that's shared in Christ. It shows the world something that they would otherwise think is crazy in a you get yours, I'll get mine sort of a world without Christ. So, but when you take the time to get to know someone, man, sacrificial generosity can take on a whole new level of intentionality. So uh, it, gets, it gets a little more intense here. Like, um, it, it gets a little more interesting if you think about the words that Paul's actually uh, saying here as he appeals to the Corinthian church. He's actually giving an example, and this is from uh, verse 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Uh, and, and his example to the Corinthian church is from those who were in a little bit of a rough patch themselves. And I'm talking about the Macedonian uh, Christians. Uh, Verse 2 says, uh, in the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I, I hear, okay, these Macedonian Christians who are the example, they're in a place themselves of severe trial. They're in a place themselves of extreme poverty. Now, that doesn't at first seem like two ingredients that, uh, through which rich generosity would come from. But what we see here is that in God's economy, it just might be that through the most meager of circumstances, sometimes the greatest of impacts is made. 
Maybe, like me, you think of the passage in Luke chapter 21, the widow's example that Jesus gave. When Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, he saw also, verse 2 of chapter 21 says, he saw also a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All of these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's why coming at this idea of sacrificial generosity from sometimes a place of comfort, sometimes a place of, uh, of relative um, adequacy of resources, although, although not always, but sometimes coming at it from that place can, can be kind of a tricky place to be. When you always see yourself as the giver with resources to give to someone, uh, sometimes, man, sometimes you can do damage to a relationship. And that's the reality of it. Especially if you just relegate sacrificial generosity and we, you know, we say, okay, let's get that on the checklist. Let's go out here. Let's do it. Man, it makes me feel good when I'm generous. Like, you know, but sometimes there, when we shift that why back to ourselves, man, we can, we can be in a danger, dangerous place. And in doing so, we might, we might actually miss out on what people really need. Or further, we miss what can only be gained in the context of relationship. That to give and to receive from one another, God is at work in both the giver and the receiver. It's a beautiful picture. So here, what's being urged in this passage is definitely it's a challenge to give, to help people who most likely didn't share the same skin color, who probably spoke a different language, who probably had vastly different cultural upbringings, who most likely had different political views and opinions because of the international places where these churches were. Yet, there was something that united them all through these these differences. It was the relational tie that they had, that tie to the free grace of Jesus that was poured out in and through each of them. So Paul's really, he's, he's showing the Corinthian believers that the Macedonian Christians, they knew their why. And to the Corinthian church, he also urged them to give based on their why. And just in case they were tempted to miss it, in verse 9, we can read about uh, the way that he kind of spells this out a little bit more clearly. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the same powerful motivation that roots followers of Jesus, rooted them then, and that roots us even now. And this how, this what of sacrificial generosity begins in us by uh, by all of us embracing something that we didn't do ourselves, something that we didn't make, something that we didn't earn by our own effort. This idea that we have to first be recipients of the sacrificial generosity of God's grace given through Jesus Christ. We all come empty-handed. Empty bank accounts, empty pockets. Everything that we have is because of his grace. Our very lives, our breath in this moment. 
the opportunities that exist in our lives. It's all by His grace. So, if our why is because of the grace of Jesus and the invitation to join Him in His mission to literally participate in the reconciliation of all things, man, the how and the what begin to take shape uh, based on that why. Things fall into place that lead us to action. So there's a danger if we, just know, if we just know the what, we just think we know about the how, but we don't have that why that motivates us. We might just relegate all of this to just like more information, but it's a call as it was to the believers uh, in this context to action. So what's this look like? Um, a few passages, four uh, from Jesus that, um, that I, I want to give you <clears throat> that show us the rhythm of you know, as he spoke about these things, it wasn't necessarily uh, something that you do every time uh, the Youth Mission Sunday comes around. Or it isn't something you do when you're on an experience on a trip somewhere far away. But to rise to a moment that could come in an opportunity that comes this afternoon, that comes this week, that comes in conversation, that comes in something that might not just demand your resources, but might demand your energy your effort, your intentionality, um, the opportunity for Jesus' grace to flow through you. Jesus had plenty of examples where he gave just kind of in the rhythm of life um, opportunities for us to know what this looks like. Some of them um, are a little bit easier. Some of them are a little bit more difficult. Matthew chapter 5, verse 42. There's a time when he said, hey, uh, give to the one who asks to you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Man, what could this look like in the context of relationship? In the context of really knowing someone, when they ask you to give and you turn toward a need instead of away from it. A moment might require that meeting that need requires more than something that might just be tangible assistance, but shoulder to shoulder in relationship, you can step into a moment like that with grace. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He said, So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. I tell you, they have received their reward in full. When you understand that everything that we have uh, isn't, isn't ours in the first place, the glory isn't ours to steal either. We're, just, we're conduits of his generosity through his grace. Another passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We see time and time again, once again, this rhythm of Jesus that we don't put our hope in the things that don't last, but we invest in people, in moments that can make a difference for eternity. That is building up treasure in heaven. Finally, Matthew 13, 22, which is a passage of the parable of the weeds. And verse 22 says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And maybe you've thought about the parable of the weeds before, if you've, if you've heard it and thought, man, man, the greatest danger seems like the evil one that comes and snatches away the word. I mean, 
not to minimize that. They're all, they're, they're all heavy. They're, they're all not results that we want uh, from that seed that's planted. Or maybe uh, you've thought about the difficulty that comes when uh, seed is trying to sp- sprout, uh, but it doesn't have any root. And uh, when trouble or persecution comes, the plant withers. But it's interesting that Jesus also throws in this third one. The seed among the weeds gives quite a warning to those that are wrestling with what to do with what God's placed in our hands. It says that the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth can choke out the word that God's planted in us. May that not be as we understand our our why as it comes to sacrificial generosity. So in applying this, we understand uh, from this foundation, from this text today, that it's all by the grace of Jesus. And the what and the how of living lives of sacrificial generosity start by looking at what resources God has graciously placed in our hands. Your life, your time, your energy, your effort, your influence, your apartment, your car, your chickens. I don't know, over here, right? (laughs) Here's what I do know. What Paul knew as well in the way that he urged his brothers and sisters was this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says says this. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I want to land on a story that takes us back to where we began two stories, uh, from Mission Indy this, this past summer. Um, we certainly came into the experience with our own uh, set of expectations, our own, our own questions that we had. And although the Fairfax community is just a little bit east of us, and I know there are folks that are a part of our congregation, the Lish family and some others that even grew up there in that Fairfax neighborhood. Some of you guys know that place uh, really well. But being on the outskirts of Hawville, um, in a little bit of a, of a changing community, it's forced the church to think creatively about how they plant seeds in their community. And what our team worked on, the other half of our team uh, that, was, that was there in the Fairfax community, was building a deck. That's it's kind of interesting to think about, like, okay, building a deck, missions, what's happening on? What's happening there? But uh, what they were doing was they were creating a spot for the church to extend hospitality to start to build relationships with neighbors. And on those streets that had previously been cause for concern, maybe because of violence, the church moved in. And because of some sacrificial generosity of some time, some energy, some effort, some resources, they moved in and set up a spot to barbecue and have conversation. Man, stuff like that makes people ask questions. You know, what happens when neighbors who've lived in fear begin to see grace move into the neighborhood and extend hospitality through sacrificial generosity? It's not flashy. It just starts with some conversation over some food in that that instance and with some missional intention before you know it. Man, things that seem impossible to change like violence in our community, like systemic racism, like generational poverty, 
And things like that begin to be shaped by relationship through the grace of Jesus in a place like that. Across town, on the east side, we were working with the kids at Brookside at a day camp. And throughout the course of the week, uh, some of our students realized, and they were doing some training and teaching with us, that for those kids that were coming, upper preschool, lower elementary age, for some of them, perhaps the only meal that they were going to receive that day might be what they received while they were there um, at the church. What that does to a kid when you're in survival mode in our city here, this place that we call home, man, the challenges that, that you think that, that, they, that you might think of that they have to live through um, are difficult. But we were there in that classroom, and uh, the meals are passed out, and we had what, what they called a share table. So the share table was a place that you could put any food on it that you didn't want or need, and someone else could make use of it. You know, if you've ever tried to, to feed kids, you know, sometimes it's just the fact that they'd rather have the cookie and not the carrots, you know, so maybe a lot of carrots ended up on the table. You know, I don't know. That was, that was probably part of it. <clears throat> but something I saw uh, in those kids uh, was a generosity with those resources that blew me away. That in spite of the fact that they didn't know what might come next because all they might have that day was what was in their hand, they were still able to freely give. And serving here in our city, serving around the world in youth missions has taught me over and over again that sometimes those who have the least, man, they're actually richer than those with more than enough because they're rich with this, this, this emphasis of sacrificial generosity. And it's, it's not about an amount that we give, but it's about a posture that exists because of the overflow of God's grace in our life. So watch out. Because when grace overflows, you might just get a little bit on you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for pouring into our lives abundantly more than our basic needs. Help us to know and feel the weight of what you've entrusted for us in the moments that you give us. Help us, Lord, to be engaged. May the grace that we extend and that overflows from our lives be fruitful for your kingdom and for your glory. Lead us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a couple different ways you can respond today that, that come straight from our text. <clears throat> you know, the, the challenge to the Corinthian believers was that they were somewhere in this place between uh, intention and action. They had said they were going to give, and Paul was saying, hey, bring that intention to action. And what would it look like for us today if, if we, too, caught a hold of that vision, that challenge that he was giving to those believers, and, and we would move from intention to action in our sacrificial generosity. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 11, now finish the work to them so that your eager willingness might be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So when it comes to sacrificial generosity, um, action brings intention to fruition. 
So maybe, maybe for you, you need to take a step of action today according to the challenge that was given to the Corinthian uh, believers. Maybe um, for you, a different facet of this is thinking about the Macedonian perspective. And a way that you can respond to the message today might be to think about where those, those believers were at. You know, a reminder from verse 2, it said, In the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Man, I don't know about you, but when it comes to extreme trial, when it comes from maybe the pressure of life circumstances that might have the temptation to keep us in a place where we go, okay, sacrificial generosity, I don't know. But for the Macedonian believers who gave themselves first to the Lord, that situation was something that was superseded by what God was doing in their lives, and it welled up into rich generosity. I mean, it starts, the application for them was giving themselves first to the Lord. So maybe that's a step that you need to take today to say, man, there's all this talk about this, this free gift of Jesus' grace overflowing in our lives. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this mission of reconciling all things to himself that God is, that is being done through Jesus Christ. Um, there's also an opportunity to give today. There's, there's a response that could be taking a step, a tangible step, to support our students through youth missions. There's some offering envelopes that say special mission offering that you can pick up as you, as you walk out of here today. There's also a place online, if you're joining us online, where you can, you can uh, click on that Give tab, and it has a designated place uh, for youth mission offering. Um, it costs $260 uh, for one of our student missionaries to participate in what's coming up for 2021 for uh, their student mission trip, high school and middle school with Mission Me this year. Um, there have been, and, and let me say, last year, I was blown away by the fact that the entire cost for our student team to be able to participate uh, with Missionity was underwritten by the generous gifts of our congregation in the midst of a pandemic, paid it in full. Um, that, is, that is such an, an amazing way that the generosity of God is already um, welling up through his people. But there's, there's an opportunity to participate in that again. The third way um, is to think about the, the other folks that were a part of this story, and that is the recipients of uh, the offering that Paul was collecting. And uh, for those Christians for whom the collection was being made, um, some were literally on the verge of starvation. They'd experienced loss. They had experienced economic hardship like none other because the famine in their day was so widespread um, and they were having a tough time. Um, I think as it comes to a response time like this for us, um, learning from those believers, it's also a time for us to be taught that we're not always in the place of being a giver. Sometimes, like these brothers and sisters, we need to just drink deeply of the grace that's offered to us in Jesus. Church, like those early followers, uh, we can't always pretend like we have it all together, like our own brokenness doesn't exist, or that we don't also need relief from the hurt that we're facing. But the good news is we don't have to face those fears alone. We don't have to be in that place and muster up the strength on our own. God's mission, the picture that he's painting is that we do this together. We join together in this way of sacrificial generosity uh, as givers and as those um, who also uh, are to receive. So 
if you want to talk with someone about that, if you want to pray with someone, talk about next steps, application, as we sing here in just a moment and worship, you'll have an opportunity to meet someone down front. If you're online and you want to hit us up through email or a phone call or on your connection card, uh, we would love to talk with you about next steps in either of these ways that we, as God's people, uh, can live out this way of sacrificial generosity. Bottom line, we can live sacrificially generous lives because we've received sacrificially of God's grace. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's respond.